everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we are chatting with Geeta Joshi, a London-based curator, founder of the Curator Salon and Art Scene Magazine. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Geeta and for you to learn all about the amazing work that she is doing. Welcome, Geeta. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. It's an honor. And thank you so much for joining today. I can't wait to learn more about you, share your story and your journey with our wonderful listeners. I have the pleasure of already knowing a little bit about you and, you know, we've connected uh, previously. So I am familiar with all of the incredible things you're doing, but I want to start by just dialing it way back and asking you how your journey as a curator started. I originally trained in art history and had this idea that to work in the arts, you had to work in a museum. You know, I didn't really have that much awareness of the commercial art world, right? So it was always like, you know, go to university, you get a job, or where do you get a job with an art history degree? You do it in a museum. So that was kind of like my conditioning for a very long time. And I worked for a Royal Commission. And even then I was kind of quite interested in uh, curating, not that I had that much opportunity for it. But um, after that, I kind of just ended up going through different jobs. And then it was, I can't remember exactly when, maybe 2010 or 9, 10, 11, something like that, that I took a curating program at Central St. Martins. And that's really um, where it kind of galvanized for me, where I realized, you know, all these sort of years of experience that I'd had through these different jobs because, you know, since the Royal Commission, I'd also worked at an architect's practice and in investment banking. And taking this curating program really helped me realize that actually there was a way of working it with contemporary artists, contemporary art um, in a commercial sense and bringing together my interest in art and business. And so that is really how that started through a short program I did there. And on the back of that, I had a showcase at Somerset House here in central London. And then I did an art fair that was up in Manchester. And I think when I got back from that art fair, I was like, oh, my God, I love that so much. I love talking to people about art all day, um, getting them excited about the work that, you know, I'm excited by. That's, you know, what I get to show, uh, all those sorts of things. And I think it was about within a month of coming back from the fair you know, I'd found myself premises in central London. And so that's when I opened the gallery. Amazing. I mean, you have such a robust sort of repertoire of all the great things that you've done and so many amazing experiences, I think, that led you to where you're at today. And I wanted to dive into the gallery a little bit. So I'm excited that you brought that up. Can you tell us a little bit about the gallery and just how that experience was for you working with artists, working with collectors? Tell us about that. Before I actually had the premises, like I said, I had the fair, I had the showcase, I'd um, uh, built out a website and things like that. So I was already building an audience, if you like, uh, before I took 
premises. And I think that is something I would definitely recommend to anybody that is thinking about going down the gallery path, that having that audience is so important. You can't just expect to make sales from walk-ins. So I was already kind of doing that work, let's say, online between the physical events. The work I was showing was mostly what I call process-led works and mixed media. And that means like printmaking, you know, very traditional printmaking, obviously, you know, contemporary and modern subjects, but using those sort of um, like process-led way of art making, uh, lithography, etchings, um, that sort of thing, liner cuts. So there was a lot of that. It was mixed media. Yeah. So, you know, out of that, really, I kind of started building um, an aesthetic, if you like, you know, that the gallery had an identity, you know, and of course that was my taste. And, uh, you know, that is what I was backing. And yeah, that's kind of how that evolved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes so much sense to do the fairs and some of the things that you were talking about to really build up that audience before jumping in. And I can imagine that was probably really, really helpful for you. Did you want to have the gallery long term? Was it something that you wanted to just have for a period of time? How did you sort of pivot out of that? And and what did you kind of move on to next? Yeah, so I actually only took the lease for six months. Pop-up galleries, pop-up spaces, pop-up rentals were a thing when I took this, uh, my, the space that I had. Um, so that was quite a thing that was going around. You know, there were lots of empty units and landlords were being encouraged to let people take them for short term you know, the, the word that we used around at that time was pop-up. I think pop-up means something a little bit different now. Might literally be a weekend. But so, yeah, it was a six-month lease. And then we actually ended up staying for over two years. So that's, yeah, I mean, we just kind of renewed. There was a period we were closed when the landlord wanted to do some work. And we decided that that was best done in January because we predicted that would be the most sort of quiet time after Christmas. So, um, but it, I think we were only closed for about three weeks or something. You know, like I said, the landlord was doing some works. And then um, the landlord, obviously, as landlords do, usually want a longer term tenant. But, you know, I was comfortable in the space. He was happy with me being there. And then that was, um, yeah, we renewed multiple times and it, we were there over two years in the end. So alongside uh, my work there, I was also on the board of a local arts charity called Campbell Arts. And Campbell Arts is the oldest visual arts festival in the UK. It's uh, an annual arts festival that takes place in Camberwell, which is a, an area sort of about three, four miles south of central London. And you know, with that, I was also involved with various elements of putting this festival together, which included one of those elements was open studios. So we had about 120 artists across about 10, 12 different sites opening their studios during uh, one of the weekends of the festival. And I also had an open exhibition as well. Uh, so that was the open exhibition. It was called the Camberwell Open. Uh, it was almost like a, a summer exhibition, you know, just for Camberwell. And that was probably where I ran my first open call. And, yeah, so that was uh, one of my contributions to the festival itself as well as sitting on the board and then you know after I left the gallery space I was still with Camberwell Arts I still delivered the Camberwell Open and then I did I ran the Open Studios program there as well. 
That's incredible. Um, what would you say was the most rewarding part of those experiences? Did you have a moment where you knew that this is what you wanted to do, just working with artists and being in the art world for the rest of your life? Or was, were there any pivotal moments that were really rewarding for you? I think when I, when I had the gallery and I was sort of meeting a lot of artists through the um, sort of festival organizing and things like that, because we'd have meetups and we'd meet the other artists and I would get to know them and, uh, you know, I'd go to their studios and things like that. That's where I recognized that I needed or they needed that help and su- uh, support in their, let's say, their business savvy, because we can help them, you know, get people to their open studios, but then they still have to host them and understand, you know, that part of it. So, um, you know, and there's things that they can be doing outside of the open studio it's event itself to, you know, really support their business, um, to kind of getting people to feel a bit more independent and recognizing that they had more power than they realized. Um, that kind of came out of a lot of conversations I was having with artists. And, you know, there's a lot of very interesting people, which is how I actually started my own podcast, because I just wanted to bring those conversations into Uh, more of the public domain and put them in front of more people. I've got to say, working with arts charities, I mean, on one hand, yes, it was definitely rewarding. It was fulfilling. I had a lot of creative control, but it's also very exhausting. And um, how can I put this eloquently? People are not grateful for all the time and effort you put in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which I I can only imagine how... Tiring that must be. Um, and so did you kind of have a moment where you wanted to transition a little bit in terms of what you were doing? I mean, you were continuing to work with artists and also don't let me forget to ask you about the book because I want to learn all about the book and what inspired that. But how did things start to kind of shift or change for you after that time? Well, I'm remembering as a board member, you know, you're not paid. So, I mean, that's the the different things. So I was a board member, but I was also had like these creative efforts that contributed to the festival itself. But uh, that is, of course, if you're a trustee or a board member, you, you know, you're, you're not on payroll. Um, so this was not my main work. This was just an activity that I was contributing to. Um, so I was, my gallery was online for a while. I was doing pop-ups in other spaces and places parts of other festivals so all of that was kind of going on and um, that's when I said I started the podcast and the curator's salon as a platform and gosh I can't even remember what else and I think that's when I started writing my book as well so the book had been on the back burner for a long time I'd been you know writing it write a chapter here or there or you know rejig what the chapter should be and all these kind of things and um Yeah, so, I mean, I spent a fair bit of time writing it there and really having a lot of um, conversations and um, FaceTime with artists, I was able to really kind of identify the ideal reader for that book, you know, like what did this person need to know? Because it's really easy when you want to write a book to try and put everything you know, everything you've ever learned in there. But of course, that doesn't make it a digestible or readable book necessarily. And uh, so it had to have that one aim. And, you know, often, you know, people will say like when you're writing, you know, to think of one person that you're writing for, for example, and, you know, should make it easier. So having like that, knowing who my actual audience was, um, the sort of person I wanted to reach with the book, that kind of helped there as well. 
Amazing. And can you tell us about some of the things that you included, some of the topics that you covered in your book, and what topics you think are especially important for emerging artists who are just starting their careers today? Yeah. So the book is called Show Your Art, How to Build a Career, Build an Art Career Without a Gallery. And the first part of it is really kind of getting set up in business and understanding how to market yourself, have a digital presence. And then the second part of the book is about showing your work. So uh, through open studios, through fairs, through exhibitions and that sort of thing. So, you know, again, that first part is, like I said, with it being marketing, it's how to build an audience. We talk about mailing lists. We talk about using social media to engage audiences and you know the algorithms change and some of the features change on the various platforms you know functionality all of that but in terms of the content for an artist it pretty much has to you still have to be showing up and telling people about you know who you are what you do what your um you know the core themes are in your work maybe talk about process all those kind of let's say topics stay the same right it's just the functionality of the platforms right when I wrote the book reels wasn't a thing for example but of course all of you know what I talk about is transferable to reels yeah absolutely I think that it is so important for artists to show up consistently but like you're saying build that that digital presence and reels are such an amazing way to do that for so many reasons I mean yes Instagram is and the algorithm is actively pushing out reels but also I think it could show your audience a deeper side of your practice that can't necessarily be communicated just through still images. So I know that's something you advocate for and you yourself post a lot of reels. I'm always seeing them on social media. In addition to reels, what advice would you give to an artist who is seeking to increase visibility for for their work or perhaps show their work and sell their work without working with a gallery. I know that really is sort of the crux of the book. Is there any other nugget of wisdom you would like to to share? I think, um, you know, it's a mindset and discipline issue after that because you know what you need to be doing. So now your job becomes doing it consistently, um, not being overwhelmed by it, not being, what's the word, like feeling bad or anything like that when you're not getting the engagement that you think you should have or you're not getting the likes and all that sort of thing it's you know just that consistency that comes with a discipline of knowing what you're about I think is really actually part of you know building a successful art career or a career in any you know chosen field really we want to show up for it. I mean, social media really allows us to uh, reach a very broad audience, and then it becomes our job to nurture those people that choose to follow us. It makes sense to then migrate them to your mailing list because we know that your social media platform, whether it's Instagram or something else, can ban you, it can you know, bump you off the platform, you know, all sorts of things can happen, right? You know, we saw like people were on Clubhouse and then that's not as popular as it was. It happened to MySpace, which just seemed to disappear. People started leaving Snapchat. So this can happen to the platform. So naturally we want to be migrating people over to our mailing list so we can 
always be in their inbox if you know they're not seeing our posts and things like that so then that becomes a natural next step and then nurturing them some more through you know the emails that you send to their inbox or um you know inviting them to your events and that sort of thing so i mean that's the most sort of a typical way of bringing people into your world. Absolutely. I think it really is about nurturing relationships. And we hear this over and over again on the podcast with curators that we have spoken to and even artists that, you know, that we've spoken to and have shared what has been successful for them in terms of growing an audience, building a collector base. It really is quality over quantity when it comes to the number of followers and remembering that it's not just a number. Those are individual people that are interested in your work and they're not just following your page, they're following your journey as an artist. So um, I really love that advice. And I want to pivot a little bit because I want to ask you about the magazine. (laughs) So many things that I have left to ask you, but I definitely want to highlight the the magazine because it's so beautiful and so amazing. And um, and I just want to hear all about how it started for you. Thank you. So I had the idea for a magazine about, I don't know, maybe 2015, 16. And I wasn't fully sure what it was. I kind of had a sense of it. And and I couldn't quite communicate this effectively, I think. And I was kind of trying to explain it to a friend who was also an artist. And she had a really bad reaction to it. And I just thought that was interesting. You know, this person is my friend. They're supposed to support me. And I think that was one of those moments where I felt like I was in the nicest way, kind of outgrowing somebody that didn't have the bigger vision that I had for what I was capable of. And um, I, I, you know, totally acknowledged that, yes, I possibly wasn't communicating it very well, but her reaction was very um, immediate, you know, and, and not very considered. And I, I just thought, okay, well, you know, this is not the person I need to be talking to about this project. So, yes, I would just say that for anybody listening, you know, it's fine to that not everybody gets what you do or sees your vision or backs you when you present them with a, a new, you know, idea. Yeah, so that at the time, I was, I've already had all these other things going on. So I didn't really go anywhere with it. And then I think it was in uh, late 2020, I started thinking about it again. And then in early 21, I was like, yeah, this, this is the year it happens. This, and for, I don't know why, it just might have been the people I was now around. Um, it could have been, you know, I had other things in place. You know, my IG had a bigger following. You know, the book had been out, well, not quite a year at that point. So I, was, I already had a reputation in all these other things. So the magazine for me, didn't feel like a big thing. And for me, it was always a creative endeavor, um, you know, putting together this publication. So, yeah, so it was in early 21. I thought, yeah, this is the year that it's going to happen. And for that year, we actually decided to only do two issues. Um, So we had an issue in May and then the second one in November. So for that year, it was just two. But since then, we've gone quarterly. But it just felt too much too soon to go quarterly right off the beginning. So yes, that's how that happened. I, I'm really happy with it. You know, I I think it has a really great brand identity. Um, you know, it's a very recognizable style and layout and all those sorts of things. And, you know, I'm really 
happy with you know how how it's evolved over time you know we've brought some great uh, people in to interview artists that submit to it so you know one of the things we do with the magazine is you know we kind of people submit to it and i do appreciate this process because I feel like people are literally putting their hand up and saying, hey, I want to be a part of it. You know, when I have cold reached out to people, which I've done historically, let's say for the podcast, it's not been that great, you know, and it's not that people don't want to be part of it, but they're just not ready to be a part of it. Whereas I thought they would have been or they would have liked the opportunity and they didn't. And so for me, it makes sense that, you know what, I only want to work with people who want to work with me. And you can do that by you know, submitting your art through this online form. So that's one of the reasons uh, we have that open call process for it. Um, so we have studio visits in there. We have artists uh, just doing a Q&A about their practice. Uh, we pair them up sometimes with other curators and other industry professionals and then sort of, you know, have like a more of an in-conversation piece. Uh, we've done pieces with collectors, you know, talking to them about their um, art buying behaviors and, you know, building out their collection. And that's always been great because they're not what you might call professional collectors. They're not like flippers. They're not, um, you know, buying at the super high end, you know, they're still typically buying work under, you know, that sort of uh, 10K kind of mark and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting having these conversations with them. But of course, that's very difficult as well, because people don't want to really reveal too much there either about the artists they've got their eye on. So yeah, we, you know, and then we uh, have uh, each where, you know, our mutual friends, uh, Leah and, um, you know, Brandy Hoffer, uh, Kat Popova have all been in where we're talking about uh, beyond the studio. So artists that have you know, that their creative endeavors extend beyond the studio and the art making itself. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you so much for your kind words about the magazine, but it is something I am very proud of. Absolutely. And you should be. And I remember when I ordered the first issue, I just remember thinking it was so thoughtful. It felt so considered and it's such a beautiful and continues to be such a beautiful selection of not just artwork, but who you are interviewing and, it's gorgeous. And I'm so excited for you. I know that it is just going to continue to grow and expand and we'll drop the link in our show notes for anyone who wants to learn more about art scene, which by the way, I love the name. And I know I told you that when you first mentioned the magazine to me, uh, but the name is fantastic. So you're doing incredible work. I want to ask you also about the programs that you teach. I know that you have a signature course um, called Get Gallery Ready, I believe. And I want to learn all about it. I want our listeners to learn about it too, because I know that this course is so valuable and is really for an artist who is ready to take that next step in their career. So tell us a little bit about the programs you teach. Yeah, so I have, how can I put this? Um, it's, a, it's really, it's a membership um, and it's called Becoming Your Own Gallerist. And this is really where I teach, you know, the artist to be a self-employed or, you know, company director of their own art business. So this is all the work around, you know, how to build that audience, how what to say to them, how to connect with them, how to exhibit, how to nurture, um, all those good things, right? How to sell, you know, exhibitions, how to select the right events and fairs and 
you know, sell through the PDF and all the good stuff. So that is becoming your own gallerist, which is heavily around marketing and showing your art. And that is, I really think, the first step before an artist goes to work or, you know, sell through a gallery, right? You need to know what, how it works, uh, how it works for you. You need to know who your audience is, you know, who that you want to also show some appetite for your work. And you do this first by becoming your own gallerist. So that is my uh, membership. And you know, I'm in there twice a month. So, you know, that's when you get, it's hot seat coaching. It is, um, you know, feedback on whatever you want. Um, all of that kind of thing. So that is that one, show your art membership, um, becoming your own gallerist. And then I do have a program called Gallery Ready, which is very specifically for artists who have got all that stuff in place. They have sales of their work. They have a robust CV. Um, you know, they know who their ideal clients are. They know who their work appeals to all that sort of thing. And they know that through their own experience and now want to basically, you know, work with, um, have their work sold through galleries on a representation basis. So inside this program, we really talk about all the different gallery models, how galleries work, what their expectations are, how commissions are split. You know, I mean, most people think it's uh, straight up 50% and that, that that's pretty normal. But then what happens when that gallery wants to, you know, they've got a curator or an interior stylist that actually wants to sell their work and then who's splitting, you know, it out. So, you know, there's more people involved and things like that. Or there's another gallery uh, that wants to sell your work, you know, maybe how do you work with uh, multiple galleries, which is also very normal, you know, it's quite normal for an artist to, you know, sell work through uh, several galleries at a time. So it really, you know, it kind of really provides all that knowledge, which, you know, I know the people that have taken the program find really, really useful because they were just very like, well, I need someone to sell my work. I'll go in, hand it over and I'll get 50% back. You know, we talk about that, the framing splits and tax and all the things. So there's a lot of that knowledge in inside that program. So this is, you know, how you really get ready to work with a gallery. You understand their expectations and you understand what you're taking into that party as well and what your what expectations might be of you, what is appropriate for you to expect of them. Yeah, all those kind of things. So that is, yeah, that program. That one's called Gallery Ready. And then I have another program with Kat Popova we run together and this one's called Your Own Art Show this one is amazing as well one thing I should say inside Gallery Ready we do have pitches and templates of what you need to say so all those you know proposals that you're going to put in um, are already you know basically written out for you to sort of tailor to how you need to be saying and there's a gallery template and people have used those pitches and been successful with securing gallery shows um but yeah going on to your own art show this is the one i run with cap Popova, and it's all about how to run an exhibition how to mount your own exhibition curate it and all the good things in real life and uh yeah with, with this one we start with the theme of the show then we move on to finding venues whether they be free or paid and then we look at installation and display the visitor experience and um, and then we move on to marketing, which is obviously a massive part of it. So this has been uh, super popular as well. And, uh, you know, several of the artists who have taken this program have gone on to have exhibitions, some of them several times over. 
you know, it's really kind of shown that artists, you know, really are more in control of their career than they perhaps let themselves believe. But, you know, again, this is one of those programs that if you took and you were to work with a gallery later on, again, you would come in having more experience of knowing what to expect. Oftentimes, like even I've done this, like when I had the gallery, I would have the artist in to help me hang, for example, right? To have somebody that knows what's how this works is really helpful. Um, you know, you don't want to wait till you've got a gallery to learn this stuff. You can, you know, you need to be doing it first with your own shows. So that, and obviously they're a great way to invite in industry professionals and, um, you know, interiors specialists and galleries and things like that as well. So they're not just a display just for your collector base, right? You can build those um, other connections and things like that that you want as well. So, yeah, this show is doing really well. And we have got another um, masterclass uh, on this one inside this program coming at the end of May. So if you're listening to this after May, then it's already inside the program. But this one is about running successful open calls for juried exhibitions. Because what we see over and over is when an artist has had an exhibition or two, you know, they start... Um, wanting to bring in more people, whether they're doing it with their friends and forming some kind of collective or a group show, or just that wider community. You know, when you think back to when I was doing this with Campbell Arts, well, you know, there's likely to be arts festivals or something in your area uh, that you might want to actually may maybe invite in an audience of an art com artist community beyond the people that you already know. You could do this through an open call, for example. So, you know, it's a way of expanding opportunities for other artists and for you to, you know, lead on that if that is something you're interested in. So this is one of the masterclasses we've got coming up at the end of May inside your art show. You're bringing so much value and I, you're making so many valid points too, because it's true. Like before an artist works with a gallery, it is important to know what to expect, um, especially if it is their first time. Uh, having that kind of partnership. One of the last questions I want to ask you, Gita, is for an artist who is in a situation where, you know, they are building their audience, they're showing up consistently, um, and they are starting to make sales. I find that a lot of artists in that position are sort of wondering if they should start pitching to galleries or kind of learn more about the gallery process and if that's a route they should take or if they should continue selling on their own if they're having success with that. Are there, well, there are, of course, pros and cons to both. And I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, what would you say the pros and cons are for each? And what would you recommend? I mean, I know it's, it's so individualized for each individual artist, but what are some pros and cons for working with a gallery versus kind of being your own gallerist? Well, I think, you know, every artist that sells through a gallery is still also their own gallerist, right? This is like, because you're a business entity and in the most brutal way, you know, that gallery is simply one stockist of your work, right? You still have your own business. So I would say you shouldn't be put into exclusivity or you certainly shouldn't be um, squeezed into that. Um, so that is something to be really considerate of. Uh, you know, you should still be able to sell your own work, you know, whether it's the gallery has specific in inventory and you uh, are allowed to sell, you know, whatever else you want, um, through whichever way you want to do it, right? Your website will show up at a fair or whatever you want to do. Um, 
so I would say definitely be mindful of exclusivity. Um, making sure your prices are at a point that you are comfortable now only taking half of that because, yeah, they do typically work on 50%. Um, so that, you know, if you're selling two or three pieces at 5K a month, then that's probably a pretty decent income. But can you now manage on maybe they will sell that many and, you know, you're only going to get half of that, so 7.5K there. Or, um, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, galleries won't necessarily sell your work all year round. When you look at, like, how most galleries market themselves, they're doing it per exhibition. And most of the time they're just marketing the people whose exhibition they you know, the artists who are in that exhibition. So, yeah, sure, there's a bit of run-up time to it. And then, you know, there's still sort of avail any available work after the show comes down. That is still um, promoted. But, you know, they're not going to be as committed to selling your work 12 months of the year as you would be. So just kind of keeping that in mind. Um, but, of course, it does, of course for a lot of artists feel like they have achieved some degree of success and it can increase appetite for your work. So even if you have an exhibition with a gallery once a year, you know, if you're still able to sell because you have not tied yourself into some exclusivity, you can still sell your work through your other channels the rest of the year, then that's great. Um, so I think those were some of the considerations. Does that answer the question? I'm not quite sure where I went with that. No, absolutely. And and I think it is really important to point out what you did, um, that most of the time you can have both. You can be represented by one or more galleries and also be selling your work. There are only a, a couple situations with artists who I've worked with or, th or that I know of personally who have been locked into a situation with a gallery that was really exclusive, as in they weren't allowed to sell uh, on their own. And so I have heard of those situations and there's an artist uh, I know currently who is in <laughs> one of those situations. Uh, but I feel like more times than not, you are able to sell on your own and also partner up with a gallery. And so I think it is important to just learn about, learn about it all and then, and then make a informed decision about how you want to proceed. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think the appeal of working with a gallery is like, some trophy that people will then get themselves into a bad situation um, and think it'll be fine. And, you know, the, the thing is most galleries cannot um, guarantee you an income, right? And very few, like literally a handful and probably only at the high end will give a gallery, an artist, a stipend. So if they can't guarantee your income, then I don't think you should be entering into exclusivity with them. Or, you know, you can delay some degree of exclusivity after you've experienced them for six months. So there's all this kind of um, flexibility that you have as an artist. Um, and it's really about understanding, not just, you know, it's about understanding how you want your business to run, how you want your art to be seen and experienced. And, you know, understanding about the different gallery models, like I said, which we cover inside Gallery Ready. But, you know, that you have way more influence and I think it is just a risk that artists have you know when they're so eager to get into um to show with a gallery that then they kind of get put into these situations and then they have to ride out the um whatever you call that waiting time when you you know you, you say that you want to leave and then 
you have this whole gardening period that you can't actually go and work with another gallery in that interim and stuff like that. No, I mean, I've uh, worked with artists in this, as in, in a coaching capacity, you know, artists that are also um, in these circumstances. So I think it's just making sure that you're more informed about how these things work. Absolutely. It's so important. And I think for any artist, whether they are interested in working with galleries or not, you know, get all the information and then make a make a considered and thoughtful decision. Uh, well, I don't want to keep you any longer, Gita. I know you are a busy lady and we also have a time, a big time difference because you are in London. I am in New York City. So I want to wrap up, but I want to thank you so much for joining us. So many nuggets of wisdom that you shared today. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the wonderful programs that you are teaching, all the great work you're doing? Thank you, Victoria. It's been a fantastic talking to you. I know we always like whenever we have a call, right, we will get all oh, just book it in for half an hour and then we're still there 90 minutes later. Um, so if you would like to find me online, the website is thecuratorsalon.com. You can find me on Instagram at the Gita Joshi. And yeah, you can go to the link in bio on Instagram for the, my training programs, or you can go to the website and then there's a tab there called learning with Geetra, I think, as well. Amazing. We'll include it in the show notes. And thank you again, Gita. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.